Episode 102, Interviewing Kayla Levin, Part 2. Welcome to the First Year Married Podcast, where we get real about building the marriage of your dreams. I'm marriage coach Kayla Levin, and I take newly married and engaged women from anxious and insecure to confident and connected through practical tips, real-life inspiration, and more than a little self-awareness along the way. Welcome back. Thank you for all the amazing feedback we've already gotten on this episode series. On all of the episodes, I can't stress enough how much we appreciate hearing the stories that come from all of you. It's really incredible And it is what kind of drives us to continue doing this and uh, making the impact that this work has made. This week, I'll just get right into it. We will pick up where we left off last time. Thank you so much and enjoy. So what I would love to do is just in terms of threading it back together, obviously the model, the model isn't just out of nowhere. I think what it did is it encapsulated a process that I, I personally have found very consistent with what. Torah wants us to do with what the Rambam teaches in terms of using reason to approach the world. What I think that it did was encapsulate that idea that if we can actually approach situations and realize that using our Bechira, our free will, to approach a situation, we can react in whatever way we want. Like if I'm in, in front of a room and I'm speaking, so... I can decide to act normally or I can start throwing things across the room. There's nothing that tells me I have to do one or the other because I have total free will to choose whatever I want. And once we realize how broad that freedom is, then in the face of extremely difficult circumstance, we can come to the table with whatever we want that is genuine to us, right? What I've seen you do, and I don't know how to get you to talk about it, but you have had some very interesting challenges in your life. In particular, I feel like the culmination after, you know, miscarriages and obviously people have have worse lives. I'm not trying to say yours is like up there, but miscarriages and different health challenges and various situations all around, you ended up getting a permanent chronic disease, type one diabetes. You're like one of the healthiest people I know, like literally the diet that they put you on in the nutritionist's office after they diagnosed you was less healthy than the diet you were already keeping. And uh, it seemed very unfair that you're getting this thing that's associated. Uh, And then everybody, of course, was going to tell you how like they're talking to you about type two diabetes and how you can really control it. And you had type one. It just came later in life and you couldn't control it. So. With that, though, I never imagined you would react the way you did. And I could, I was waiting for the, the like, original Kayla that I knew when we first got married to, like, that's it. The shoe dropped. You know, Hashem hates me. Like, anything about negativity. But I, I feel like you didn't go there at all. And you haven't yet. I get coached a lot on my thinking about it. I think that's part of it. I coach myself a lot on it and I get coached a lot. I, I actually need to get coached. Um, I don't, this is one that I, I need somebody outside of me 
to help me look at my thinking. And that, that, that definitely helps a lot. Like I, I do slip into this thought when I'm not being careful of like, it's just really unfair and everyone else can eat those things and I should be able to, and you know, and all this stuff. And, you know, like one of, one of the coaches that coached me recently is really a phenomenal master coach pointed out, you know, I was talking about like, I don't, I, I actually don't enjoy most bakery goods like cakes and cupcakes like I've never really liked them and she was like so why is it so bad that you can't eat them like you don't even like them you know and it's a great point it's just so it was like my brain just veered to the negative like it just really was going there and I just needed someone to like help remind me that I get to choose how to think about this and kind of the ideal for me is that this doesn't need to be a big deal Meaning, way, to be clear, though, yeah. what you're saying, because you yeah, yeah, articulated, but you you were saying to yourself, it's not fair that I can't have that piece of cake. Or challah. Or challah. Yeah. But you don't really actually enjoy it when you eat challah or cake. No, challah I love. El challah is clear. Like, but, but like, Adina just had a birthday. Yeah. Our daughter just had a birthday, and there was a big cake on the table. And so you might have said in a, previously to that coaching... You might have said to yourself, it's not fair that I can't even taste a right. piece of that cake. But if you had a piece of that cake, you're saying that it wouldn't even it's be. It's not really my taste, right? Yeah. So, right. but but until you stopped resisting the fact that it's like, until you stopped telling, saying the story, this isn't fair, you weren't able to appreciate the fact that like, maybe you don't even want the piece of cake. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, like like so ridiculous that my brain wanted to spend all this time grieving this food that I don't like, <laughs> right? But like just because it just it was just really felt very compelling that like this isn't fair. Like I'm definitely know lots of people who keep a much less healthy diet than I did. What about um, challah? What about the challah? What about the challah? I don't know if I'm so coachy with that. I think I use more of just like what I've learned about the body and food. And I just know that when I don't eat those things regularly, it's easier for me not to eat them. Can you tell us about yeah. the idea that you taught me recently that I find oh. mind-blowing about, <laughs> about pleasure? Yeah. Well, okay. So this, this, comes, this comes from Brooke Castillo. And she talks about how... When you eat like really concentrated processed food, you end up with like a concentrated experience of like the sugar high, right? Like our brains weren't ever designed to, we were designed to appreciate a blueberry, not to appreciate, you know, Hershey's bar. And so we get this like complete surge of dopamine. And her argument is that that, that level of dopamine over the chocolate bar can actually minimize your sensitivity to the dopamine that you get when you go for a walk with your spouse or something like more low level. But you actually really, most of us would rather be able to really appreciate going for a walk with our spouse. And I think we can all, we can all relate to the experience of doing something that you feel like should be pleasurable because, you know, and just, and not. I think honestly that that's probably why a lot of couples don't really make the time to go on dates. Because it doesn't give you that surge that high unless you go do something together, like eat a whole bunch of like 
sugary foods, right? Sure. And so it's like it's it's more work and like the level, it's like a low level of pleasure of spending that time together. It's not the like fireworks that you get when you go watch Netflix something. I don't know, whatever you watch on Netflix or you go on social media or whatever these things that give you this like surge. They're they're designed for that. And so and we did this in the mastermind, an exercise of like just trying to make a list of the things that we really want our dopamine to be coming from. Like, where do you want to be getting your pleasure from? And this for me, I think really landed because in our experience of becoming from, we had many areas of our life, whether it was language or um, just exposure to different kinds of content or whatever it is, where we watched ourselves become sensitized, right? Where we saw like, oh, when you spend an entire, oh, gosh, man, right? That was my number one. And I spent an entire year living in Israel and then I come home and I'm in the Best Buy in Paramus. And it was like horrifying to me, right? Like I just like wanted to run back onto a plane. Just this level of like you you do something and you're careful about something and about your exposure to something, then you your sensitivity is such that you now pick up on things you would never have noticed before. You know, if you're never, if you spend a year around people who use terrible language, you're gonna get used to the terrible language and vice versa. If you're around people with bad language and then you spend your time only with people with good language, then you, then you'd be shocked when you hear the bad language. And I think it's kind of the same idea here with the, with the, the sugar and the dopamine and all that of like, if I want to really enjoy just sitting down and playing a board game with my kid, I can't really be competing with yeah. like 20 WhatsApp chats Yeah, because they're that it's like a natural dopamine hit versus a completely artificial one. So I, first of all, the background people need to know, cause like mm-hmm. we're repulsed by Goshmias and technology, but like to we, be clear, you, we have a house you're, you, and we use technology. But also, you're, you're, what was your degree in? You were at drama. NYU for drama. You were like deeply involved in the world of, of media. Not of Goshmias. Not of Goshmias, no. but of media in yeah. terms of like appreciating theater and shows. And yeah. I am a digital marketer. I worked with like Google and Facebook and all the bad guys. All the bad guys. <laughs> And have conditioned people to getting dopamine from yeah. social media. And um, so, like, it wasn't that we, like, always were repulsed from those things. I think it was exactly yeah. what you just said, that we actually experienced being away from them. And then the shock of having it from nothing was what kind of pushed us in, in that direction. Which is why I'm, like, always teetering on the edge of... Destroying all of your technology. Well, just dropping <laughs> social media entirely. Yeah. That'll be a different topic for a different... Another podcast. I don't want to scare everybody off. On 200. Um, so, I'm not uh, teetering with the idea of telling them to get off social media. And a lot of them aren't on it. Yeah, Even with that. I am amazed always when people are able to accomplish that. But the other piece that, that you mentioned that I think is the most powerful one is that you get to choose where your pleasure comes from. That if I spend my day thinking, I want to get pleasure from these places, I have this for myself now because of learning it from you that I know that like I reach in the fridge for pieces of chocolate to get pleasure, to get a dopamine hit. And I've studied this in technology, that this is really bad, that like when we condition people uh, on social media or through advertising to get those dopamine hits, they're addictive and you never get the same hit, the original hit that you get. Mm. It's never as good, right? So you're always looking for that original feeling. And you say that's that's what I learned in psychology about drugs. Drugs, 100%. That's the same. It's the same. It's the same thing. But again, we're not we're not talking about technology. But but food can be the same way. But so can anything else. You can have that with Torah. You can have it with your marriage. 
You can have it with your children. If you choose to get your pleasure from those places. You can't have, you're not saying that the, the descending levels of pleasure. You're just saying getting pleasure. No, you, they are the descending levels of pleasure. But what happens is in a human being interaction, I can actually have like other more healthy long-term chemicals like oxytocin mm-hmm. uh, kick in and bond me to you. Whereas in uh, Facebook like, it's a dopamine hit and nothing, it doesn't lead to anything. But it does have oxytocin too. Sure, I'm but just it's saying yeah. it's a it's a fake fleeting feeling, right? Because you're always, I got a thousand likes. Oh, what if I could get 1,500? You get two likes, what if I get 100? Like it's always looking for that additional thing. Yeah. But getting away from social media, what I'm saying is if you choose to get pleasure from your family or from your spouse or from dates, then you invest in getting pleasure from those places and then it bonds you to those things. If I choose to get pleasure from Torah, so then I like set up myself in a different way about uh, learning at night, right? You're not... No, meaning, I just think that, yes, we want to choose that. And, but it's not so simple. It's not like if I just decide that I'm going to get my pleasure from Torah learning, then I'm going to, it's, it's the way you said this earlier, like it's the way that you think about it throughout your day, the way you anticipate it. But it's also, it's also like, you're going to need to be willing to experience the negative emotions that come along with that. And so the pleasure is like, right? Like we're talking about packing you a lunch. Like there's no pleasure for me in packing you a lunch. I don't like packing you a lunch, right? It's not an activity that I enjoy, but if I'm allowing myself to, as I'm doing it, I'm willing to experience the boredom or the antsiness or maybe even anxiety of the other things I need to be doing in that moment. If I'm willing to feel that because it's in line with, how I want to show up that day and what I've decided I want to be doing, then I can, and I have to be willing to feel that, but then I can allow my brain to be focusing on because I'm not resisting that negativity and I'm not making the negativity mean that I'm doing something. I shouldn't have to do this, or I'm a martyr. I'm just allowing that because that's an expected part of this activity. Then now my brain can be in like, I'm proud of myself for doing this or I know he's going to be so happy with this. And then that's where the ideas of like writing a little note or something comes in too, of like, because those come from that feeling of, I feel good. I'm, I'm allowing myself to feel good about what I'm doing. I'm allowing myself to feel proud of what I'm doing and, and excited for you and for whatever the connection. But, but we have to be willing to feel that. And we can't forget the sensitization piece of it. Meaning if you really want to be into Torah learning, but then you are still into video games Torah learning would, you wouldn't be able to feel the dopamine you're getting from the Torah learning because you are getting it mm-hmm. because you're, you know, just like, like they say, I mean, I just, I think I don't have experience with, but they say with drugs, like if so, oh, you even know this with like, um, people who have like pain medication, like that they'll, their, their brain adapts to a certain level of pain medication and they have to take more right for, to get the same level of, of relief. So same with this, like if you're, if you're, tolerance for dopamine is so high your need for it is so high because you're doing these artificial things like video games Mm -hmm. then it's gonna even if you want to and you set your mind to appreciating the Torah learning you've chemically altered yourself in a way that you're just not gonna feel it as much now you could decide I'm gonna look out for that low level hum and I'm gonna appreciate that low level hum or you could decide 
it's not worth it for me to do the video games because they're messing with my appreciation in the other areas. Mm -hmm. That's how I understand it. Okay, so it's two parts, meaning I do get to choose where my pleasure comes from. Yeah. But in order to choose them, to choose where my pleasure comes from, if I want it to come from me investing in my relationship with my spouse or my kids or, or my relationship with Hashem, right? So in order to do any of those things, I have to do one. I have to do two things. Number one is make sure I'm not desensitizing myself to be able to feel the pleasure in a real way, in a deep way, and experience it. Because if I do that, then I'm not going to be able to experience it because it's so diluted. Mm -hmm. And number two is I have to also embrace the discomforts that are natural parts of the process of achieving that thing. Meaning... If I want to exercise, right? So if I'm so focused on the pain of lifting a weight, then I'm going to really be miserable exercising. Right. But if I'm so focused on... You know when you lift weights that that's what makes you stronger. So people are excited about the pain of it. Exactly. As long as it's healthy So if I embrace the pain as the process... And I want to be able to lift a certain, you know, 100 pounds. I don't I don't lift weights. <laughs> <laughs> but then I, when I hit that number, I'm going to be so excited. And, yeah. I, and my pleasure is going to come from I guess from that's what you're saying, going back to the idea of Simcha, what you're saying from Rabbi Orlovic, right? Like, if a person knows that the pain of lifting the weight is actually what's building their muscles, so then they're excited about it. If I know that, you know, the boredom that I have to feel to be willing to sit and listen to like a full story from one of my children when that's not really something I'm necessarily interested in naturally is part of like I am in this moment building a deeper and stronger connection with my child then if and and I think that's that's where we have to know that meaning if we don't know that to be true we don't believe it to be true then we don't get that excitement from it yeah and I think that's what you were saying earlier about creativity with it I personally, my experience has been that when you embrace the pain as part of that process or the work, I don't want to call it pain. It's not always painful, but it's usually there's work to get any achievement and you've sensitized yourself enough to appreciate the pleasure. It also creates a space for creativity. And that's where you can inject yourself into a situation. Mm. That's where you can become like playful. Uh, And that is what I feel like bringing all of this together that like even the ability when you had diabetes, I think the first day you got like these machines attached to your body, I called you a cyborg mm-hmm. and it wasn't offensive. It was because, because, but like that was, I, that was like to me, I don't know, after we made that joke, I just realized in my head that like we're operating on a level where like, okay, we're going to go through this stuff together. And it's going to be, it could be horrible news, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to stop being playful about it because right. that's what life is. Life is like a series of challenges we get to do together and we get to overcome and we get to experience and, and respond to with greatness. And I feel like that's what I like, learned from, from yeah. everything that you've brought from the research you've done and the things that you teach. That is what I've learned the most. You can choose how to react. You can choose greatness in your reaction. It wouldn't work for me to describe it as greatness. Why? So heavy. You can choose playfulness in your reaction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it works for you, so it's important. 
Meaning it's different for different people. Like some people, sure. like playfulness doesn't work for them. It, I, it's interesting because like it just occurred to me that I think one of the tools that I use is like who I'm applying, who I'm comparing myself to, right? So I'm coming to Israel and I'm comparing myself to like my friends who made Ali on their teens, you know, and they now they're like up and running and all their kids were born here and everything. So like I could easily start to feel discouraged. But I compare myself to like... <laughs> caricature version of like a Russian immigrant in Brooklyn, you know, <laughs> who like probably has to work like, you know, a menial job or whatever. And I'm like, hey, look at us. Like, we're doing great. We've got amazing healthcare, and we've got like, you know, you've got a great job. I've got a great job. You know, it's same thing with, with diabetes. Like if I compare myself and I, and I do sometimes I'm not saying I never do it, but I like when I compare myself to my friends who just don't have it. So then I can feel frustrated. But I usually compare myself to people who had it before insulin was invented. <laughs> so like when I get an insulin pump, I'm not I'm like I, I had a friend who sort of I could see that when she saw it, it was just like heartbreaking for her because she saw like she saw the insulin pump and it was like how she could see really how unwell I was. Like I don't have a functional pancreas, you know, and I was like, this is amazing. Right? Like I don't have to like deal with the pens and all the shots every day. And, you know, and, and like I have insulin and this is no longer a fatal disease. So, yeah, I think it's always like we think that the people we're comparing ourselves to is just everyone else. But we get horse blinders, you know, like I know other people who who have chronic illness and they feel like no, but everyone else is healthy. And I, I remember like having this conversation. I was like, what are you talking about? Like everyone's got something going on with their health. They're all coming out of the woodwork and telling me about it. You know, like they've all got it. And it was just like we both were looking for something different. So we were seeing what we were looking for. I was looking for like, yeah, we've all got our stuff. And so I saw it and my brain filtered out all the people who actually really are fine, <laughs> you know, and she was only seeing that. And I think that's and then so we then we think that we're comparing ourselves to like the real what is the normal normal is that people have happy, healthy marriages from the get go and have easy time having children and have an easy part. So like, what are you talking about? That's not normal. If that's what you're comparing yourself to, then you've got horse blinders on. Right. And like. Yeah, you you can choose what you're where you're putting yourself in that comparison, and that will really change the experience a lot. Yeah, and that I feel like is the circumstance, right? You don't choose the circumstance; you choose the thought. Right. You don't choose. You choose how you react to the actual thing that's in front of you. You don't change the circumstance. Right. Okay, I, I feel so. like we've done justice. My goal is to get a little bit more of the Kayla story out there and get into your head a little bit. And um, those are some of the stories I wanted to, to have you tell. So this is a lot of fun. If there are stories out there and you're a first, you're married newlywed, please tell us because we hear from everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe um, our first year married people are just shy. That's <laughs> very possible. There's also one of the craziest things is that we know this started off for the whole world and somehow even without you ever saying that you were Jewish for the first like 50 episodes, we attracted a ton of Jewish audience. And it's just funny to me. Yeah. So I'm very curious to also know where you heard about the podcast from. And, and if you're not Jewish and you made it through this entire interview. You're incredible. But... Let us know what words you should translate. <laughs> All, every other word. All right. Thank you for joining the podcast, Kayla Thanks Levin. for having me. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. <laughs>